The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning, Ecclesia. Uh, how about a nice, cool 72 degrees on a Sunday in June, huh? Like, well, yeah, like what a gift. I had already, I was like planning on making a joke about, I don't know if you noticed, but summer's here and it's like, ah, it's not going to land today. So uh, like every other day has been hot and oppressive, but man, we'll take it. What a gift. So my name is Wayne Brown. I get to be the campus pastor here. And that is such a gift and an honor and a privilege. I love it. I love our team. I love you. I love this place. I just love everything about it. And it's so good to be here with you today. We're starting a new series uh, because summer is upon us. And so uh, we're doing a series called Voices from Culture. And we're going to be looking at uh, things like movies and TV shows and books and podcasts and music and architecture, maybe like whatever. Like if there's a voice in culture and it's saying something interesting, we want to explore it. And really, it's similar to what we did last summer. We did a series on movies, but we're just going to open it up a little bit and we're going to do even more. Uh, But part of why we do this is uh, this is one of our core values that we describe ourselves as Houston's holistic missional Christian community, which is a mouthful. And we're not going to talk about all of those, but especially that one where it says uh, holistic It's this idea that we don't see the world as divided into sacred and secular, uh, that we believe that God has created everything uh, and that it's good and that he's actively redeeming everything. And so it's this idea that we can find God in tacos and the beach and culture and it's there. And so what we want to become is these people who look for and find God and find his voice and everything and that we are those people who announce this is what God is saying, and it's good, and it brings life. So we're going to get to kind of practice that. I was going to go in a completely different direction, i got to be honest, but then I took my family to the movies last Friday, and we went and saw Toy Story 4. Anybody seen it yet? Anybody? Yeah? So, uh, okay, a few of you, awesome. Um, We're going to talk about Toy Story 4 uh, today, and man, this I was, as I was doing, like doing a little bit of research, hey, what are the stats? Like, let's talk about Toy Story as a franchise. Um, And I saw this person that was tweeting about the fact that uh, when Toy Story came out in 1995, (laughs) they were four years old, and now they're going to see it as a 28-year-old, right? So, like, the reality is there are probably some of you here in this room that weren't alive when Toy Story came out. If that's the case, just keep that to yourselves. We don't want to know, right? That makes us feel old, me included. So, but man, what that movie was completely revolutionary. Uh, it's the first f- full-length feature film that was completely 100% CGI computer-generated images. And talk about a revolution. Everything that's animated now is all of that. And it was a groundbreaker. It did that. Um, Toy Story 3, when it came out in 2010, I think, yeah, so like nine years ago, that's like, man, time flies. Uh, it, was, uh, it became the highest grossing animated feature film of all time uh, until Frozen happened. Um, Toy Story 3 was also, I don't know if you know this, it was one of three animated films that were nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, like this franchise has been in our culture, and it's been, everybody knows Buzz and Woody, right? Uh, this franchise has done a lot. So I want to spend some time and talk about that. Uh, I promise to do my best to not spoil it for any of you that want to go see it. So we're not going to talk about how Woody dies at the end, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, um, but 
uh, we want to spend some time because there's some things. I'm telling you, when I was in the theater with my family, uh, and it's the second movie that my family has made it through the entire movie, right? Uh, which is an accomplishment and should say something about how good it was. Highly recommend it. But I'm telling you, when I was there, it was like I was having an experience and it was like God was speaking in the movie and I was just hearing it. So I just kind of want to share a little bit about that. So to kind of set up when we're going to talk about Toy Story 4, you got to know a little bit about where the franchise has been. So uh, there is a scene in the original Toy Story that came out in 1995. It's one of the most iconic scenes because Woody and Buzz are in the car and it's just after Woody has knocked Buzz out of the window. And so they, they get in a fight in the car. They are like tumbling around, they get out of the car and then Andy, who's the kid and mom come back in the car and they drive off and it leaves Woody and Buzz at a gas station, right? And it's the like one where he's like, you are a toy. You know, it's like that scene. But what's interesting is this moment, Woody's devastated, right? And he's saying, I'm a lost toy. Because the worst thing in the world is for a toy to be lost. Because to be a lost toy means you don't have an owner. You don't have a kid. But you immediately like, what's my purpose, right? I don't have this kid to love or to love me. I don't have this thing. And eventually what's likely going to happen is you're going to end up in a gutter or a trash heap or something, and it's just bad, right? So there's this idea that they pick up and run with. There's another idea, and they kind of play on it a little bit, that comes to fruition in Toy Story 3, who the antagonist is a, who looks like this friendly, plush, uh, cuddly bear who smells like strawberries. Uh, His name is Lotso Huggin' Bear. And he ends up being the antagonist. And there's this one scene where he's confronting Woody and all the toys, the whole gang, Buzz, Slink, Potato Head, Mrs. Potato Head, the whole bunch. And they're on top of a dumpster. And he's telling them, he says, you were made of plastic. You were made to be thrown away. That's all a toy is, really. And there's this whole dialogue going on of what are we made of? Uh, What's our purpose? and what's gonna happen to me at the end that creates all these interesting questions and dialogues. So we're gonna stick to the trailer uh, because that's gonna help me keep from spoiling anything from you. Uh, So what I wanna do is share the trailer with you from Toy Story 4 that's gonna set up kind of our conversation and you can roll that whenever you're ready. All right, so who's ready to go to the movies, right? Yeah, (laughs) it's as good as it looks and it lives up to the franchise, highly recommend it. Um, so I did uh, bring some props, okay, because I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and uh, we do have some things. So there's some characters that I want us to spend some time talking about today, and one of them is none other. I'm trying not to push buttons so they don't start talking in there. Um, one of them is none other than Sheriff Woody, right? Like, oh, man, what a great character. And another one that I want to talk about is our new friend, Forky right? So here's what happens. Um, If you missed the end of Toy Story 3, Woody and the gang, they end up being given to another little girl whose name is Bonnie. And so Woody and the gang are now Bonnie's toy. And he's got Bonnie's name. I'm just going to lay you down so you don't fall. Um, He's now Bonnie's toy and has Bonnie's name written on his boot. And what's interesting is this whole dialogue and this whole interaction between Being a lost toy is the worst thing in the world for a toy. And in this movie, it starts off, and Woody has an owner. He's got Bonnie. But as you watch it begin to unfold, he's a lost toy. 
Not because he doesn't have an owner, he doesn't have a home, it's because he doesn't really understand who he is, right? He knew exactly who he was when he was Andy's favorite toy and he was the boss and he like kept everybody in line, but now that they're in a new room and somebody else is the boss and somebody else is Bonnie's favorite toy, he doesn't know where he fits in. And so he's in search of who he is again and where's my purpose? And so be in spite of everyone in the room's voices telling him, you cannot go to kindergarten with Bonnie, you cannot sneak in her backpack, you can't do it. He's like, no, I need to be there for Bonnie. I'm gonna be there for Bonnie. So he sneaks into her backpack. And he's kind of watching through like the window and he sees a moment where Bonnie has uh, an interaction where she thinks she's about to make a friend with one of her classmates and it just, you know, as kids do, it just doesn't pan out. And so she looks, she looks distraught and Woody jumps out of the bag where she can't see him. He goes to the trash can, and while she's not looking, you know, somebody calls her name, he tosses a bunch of trash up on, up on the table, and she turns around and she finds all this stuff, and then she makes Forky. And he has this sense of, like, satisfaction, like, I was there. She has a better day because she's got somebody that comforts her through it, and it freaks him out when all of a sudden uh, Forky starts talking to him in the backpack, like, whoa, what, like, what's going on here? But there's this interesting play on, here's Woody who's a lost toy, and here's literally trash that comes to life. And because he's from the trash, he's constantly looking to go back to the trash. So every time they're looking for, for Forky, like every time Bonnie's looking for Forky, he's found his way into a trash can or in the trash bag or everything. So Woody's job becomes to, how do I keep Forky out of the trash? <laughs> so when they go on the, their trip, Bonnie's like, I got to take Forky. So Woody's job on the trip is I got to keep Forky in, in the RV. And at one point, Forky gets away and you see him like, I was made for the trash, right? I was made for chili, maybe, right? And then I was made to be thrown away like freedom. And he like jumps out the window. <laughs> so Woody goes following after him. And the scene where they're walking together on the road, Forky's asking him questions like, what are we doing here? What is this? Um, and they're going back and forth, and it finally clicks when Woody asks Forky, hey, what is it about the trash? And he smiles, and he says, it's so warm, <laughs> right? It's so soft and cuddly, and there's just somebody that's whispering, whispering in your ear that says everything's going to be okay, right? Which is so weird about the trash, but Woody figures it out. And he says, oh, that's how Bonnie feels when she's holding you. And then you see it come over Forky and he's like, I'm Bonnie's trash, right? And Woody's like, no, 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 you're Bonnie's, no, no, like I'm Bonnie's trash, right? Like she feels warm and cuddly with me. She's, she's a wreck without me. I've got to get back to Bonnie. And it flips and all of a sudden Forky's dragging Woody over there. And I love this whole dialogue around like the stuff that we're made of and the fact that when somebody's got their name on us, it changes everything. And I think there's voices in our culture that say, we're just dirt, or we came from the dust, or we're not good enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not smart enough, you'll never be enough. But yet, like in the hands of a creator, even trash can become something that is good and beautiful and has meaning. We'll get more to that in a little bit. So there's, there's another character that we wanna talk about, and is probably one of the most beloved characters of all time. And that is none other than Buzz Lightyear, yeah? So uh, Moses was uh, Buzz one year for Christmas. It was absolutely ador adorable. Um, but there's some great interactions between Woody and Buzz. And so at one point, 
when Woody and Buzz, they're on the uh, RV and they're talking, uh, Buzz notices, man, you are working really hard to keep Forky out of the trash. Like, how are you doing? How's this going? And Woody just kind of confides and says, I'm doing this because I don't think that voice inside of me would ever let me live it down if I wasn't there to help Forky be there for Bonnie. So Buzz is like, oh, this voice inside of you. Like, tell me more about that. He says, who do you think it is, (laughs) right? And Woody's like, well, I think it's my conscience, you know, like that voice that tells you what's good and what's right. And it comes from inside. I think it's my voice. And And he goes and he grabs the little pull string on the back and just kind of holds it up. And he's like, fascinating. Your inner voice advises you, right? Like, and he pulls the string and it says, there's a snake in my boot. And he's like, oh, right? So what's so amazing is that throughout the whole movie, there's these instances where Buzz is at like kind of a crossroads and he's trying to figure out like, what do I do? So they're all standing around on the table and they're trying to, they're asking Buzz like, what he's gone, what do we do, Buzz? And he's like, I don't know. He pushes a button and it says, there's a secret mission in uncharted space, let's go. And he just runs and jumps out the window, like gotta go, like my voice is telling me, you know? Um, And it's so great. And I think there's so much to that that is like learning to hear the voice of God, that sometimes it's really confusing. Sometimes, you got to figure out, is this my voice? Is this God's voice? Is this someone else's voice? Like, where is this coming from? Is this something I should follow? Is this something, whoa. Um, Is this something I should go with? And it was such a great lesson. And there's a couple of passages in the scriptures that I think will help us tie these two themes together, that I think this is a story that has been told for thousands and thousands of years. And I want to go to Genesis chapter 3 for the first one. And what's going on in this story is God has just created everything, right? His voice has just spoken in the darkness and everything has come to life, right? He's created order out of chaos. He's created everything that's beautiful out of nothingness. And he's called it good. And then he creates us, humanity, men, women. And then he says, it's very good. And then there's this, he gives us the freedom to eat from every tree in the garden except this one. And then as the story goes, there's another character that comes in and they fall into some temptation. They eat the fruit. And that's where we pick up in Genesis chapter three, starting in verse seven. And it says, suddenly their eyes were opened to a reality previously unknown. For the first time they sensed their vulnerability and rushed to hide their naked bodies, stitching fig leaves into crude loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the eternal God walking in the cool, misting shadows of the garden. The man and his wife took cover among the trees and hid from the eternal God. And God, calling to Adam, said, where are you? And Adam replied, when I heard the sound of you coming in the garden, I was afraid because I am naked, so I hid from you. And look at God's response. He says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree in the center of the garden, the very one I commanded you not to eat from? And I love the way the story unfolds because what becomes apparent is that God knew all along what happened, right? And he throws out the question, not to be patronizing, not to be condescending, not like a what have you done kind of thing, but I think in an effort to help Adam and Eve figure out like how did we get here, right? 
And so he asks the question, who told you that you were naked? Essentially saying, whose voice have you been listening to? Right? That's how you got here. Whose voice have you been listening to? Because there are voices that will tell you you are nothing. There are voices that, are, that will tell you you should be ashamed, that you're alone, that you should be afraid, that you'll never get there, that you'll never amount. But that's not the voice of God. And I love the way he even says, um, have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to, right? Like, to again, help reinforce, like, oh yeah, this was never how it was supposed to be. It's like God saying, hey, you've been naked the whole time. That's actually the way I made you. And how I made you hasn't been a problem for you until you started listening to this other voice, right? How God made you has never been the problem. The problems so often are the voices that we give our ears to. But it can be confusing, right? Like, how do I determine what are the voices to listen to and what are the voices to, to stay away from, right? One of them is to see, like, where has this voice gotten me, right? How did I get here? But I want to go to another passage in John chapter 10 that I think helps shed a little bit of light on how do we figure out and determine what voices to listen to. And Jesus starts telling a parable in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. He says, I tell you the truth, the man who crawls through the fence of the sheep pen rather than walking through the gate is a thief or a vandal, right? Look for the one who's doing something shady, right? The shepherd walks openly through the entrance. The guard who is posted to protect the sheep opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When all the sheep have been gathered, he walks on ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. The sheep would not be willing to follow a stranger. They run because they do not know the voice of a stranger. And Jesus explained a profound truth through this metaphor, but they did not understand his teaching, so he explained further. And I love this. He says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate of the sheep. Now, when I come to this the first time, I think this is the moment where he's going to say, I'm the shepherd, right? But he says, I'm the gate. I'm the way in and out. I open this up. And he says, all who approached the sheep before me came as thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not listen to their voices. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be liberated. We'll go in and go out and we'll find pastures. One of the ways to tell like whose voice is this is how creative is this voice? Is this a voice that opens things up, that talks about possibilities and futures? Or is this the same old voice that's on repeat? Is this the same old message about how you're not enough or you should be ashamed or you should be guilty, right? The voice of God is a voice that says, you may have that in your past, but there's also this in your future. You will go in and out and you will find pasture. He says, a thief approaches with malicious intent looking to steal, slaughter, and destroy. I came to give life with joy and abundance. And again, looking at where do these voices get me? 
Do these voices leave me in a place of shame and despair and defeat? Because that's not the voice of God wherever that voice is coming from. Whether you notice it inside of you, whether you notice it in someone else's voice. Because when Jesus encountered a woman in John chapter 8, and she had been caught in adultery, literally naked, and literally in a place of shame, he looks at her and he says, who's around you that condemns you? Neither do I. So go and leave your life of sin. The voice of God is the one who's saying, there's a bigger future. I love you. There will be enough. Ecclesia, may we be the people who learn what it is to distinguish and hear the voice of God. It's really in it, it's, it's a practice of prayer is, is what it is. You know, there's a, there's a verse where Paul encourages us, encourages us to pray without ceasing. And if I'm honest, when I hear that verse, there's so many times when I think, okay, like I just need to be in a constant state of like, what's on my mind? Like, how do I put this before God? How do I constantly ask him for what I need? But I think what Paul's really saying is, hey, this is a two-way street, right? This is a chance to pause and listen and to hear what God is saying. Richard Rohr says it like this. He says, Western culture has tended to be an extroverted culture and a can-do culture. Prayer too easily became an attempt to change God and aggrandize ourselves instead of what it was meant to be, an interior practice to change the one who is praying? What if we became the people who would offer to God, hey, here's this thing, I don't know what to do with this, right? Or here's this thing I'm struggling with. But then in turn said, so what do you have for me with that? What are you trying to teach me? What are you saying? What's going on in this? Is there anything in me that needs to be shaped? And then as we go about making lunches for our kids or doing our homework, or filling out our TPS reports, that we became the people that were constantly listening with our antenna up for, God, what are you saying in this? How are you trying to change me? And may we be the people who are able to recognize the voice of God that's calling people into a life, into freedom, into grace and mercy, and that we can name it when we're watching Game of Thrones, or we're listening to the radio, or we're at Toy Story 4. May we be those kind of people. Ecclesia, will you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful for your voice that you speak into our lives and that your voice is the most creative voice, the most imaginative voice, that you make possibilities and opportunities where no one else can see them. And we thank you that you're a God who doesn't just say things, but you do things. And that you came for us. You demonstrated your love for us. And so we thank you for this bread and for your body, which it represents, that was broken for us. And we ask that today as we eat, that we would be reminded of what you've done for us. And we thank you for this cup for this juice and this wine and for your blood, which it represents. And we ask that as we drink, that we would be able to receive your love and grace.
And God, we ask that you would help us to be attentive, help us to discern and distinguish your voice everywhere we go, and to call it out with everyone that we meet. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.